Welcome to the Mind Your OT Business Podcast, where we empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Laura Park Figueroa. Ready to take action? Let's jump in. Hi, everyone. Wow, are you in for a treat today? I cannot wait to share this interview with all of you. I interviewed Kelly Bynes. She is the owner of Occupational Therapy Consulting, LLC. It is a pediatric private practice in Frederick, Maryland, and she had so much wisdom to share about how she got started, how she's grown the practice, um, what their approach is like, and why that may contribute to their success as a private practice, and just tons of other business tips for you guys. But not only is she the owner of the clinic, she also is a children's book author. She's the author of the Ovis the Sheep book series, which has two books and many more in the works. Ovis is a sheep with sensory processing disorder, and he teaches children and parents in a really playful way about SPD and and how to manage it in daily life. So it's just a really great um, way that Kelly has built multiple streams of income for her business. So she has the book and she has her private practice and she also has plans to start offering um, some telehealth services, possibly by phone or video, and also some courses in the works that she wants to offer online. So she is an OT entrepreneur, soul sister to me. We just loved talking with one another on this interview. And I cannot explain to you how much value all of you are going to get out of this just listening to her share her wisdom. So here's Kelly Bynes of Occupational Therapy Consulting in Frederick, Maryland. Kelly, welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And we always start off with um, having people just tell us about their business. So with you, especially, you said you got started about seven years ago. So I want to hear how you got started seven years ago and how your business has grown into multiple revenue streams, which is something a lot of OTs are interested in. And I think you have a lot to share about that. So let's start from the beginning and you can tell us how that all happened. Well, it is um, a loaded question um, (laughs) (laughs) because I when when I hear you say has grown, my first reaction is is growing. Yeah, um, sure. Because I feel like that's a big part of my focus right now is really trying to put my energy into not only solidifying the current practice, but then how do I diversify and make sure that what I've chosen to do is actually going to be sustainable? Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it, I mean, it's easy to throw things at the wall. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's... <laughs> do too much. <laughs> yes. And there are many days when I think that I've probably taken on too much, but everything that I've chosen to do right now are things that I want to keep doing. And so I need to work to make sure that I can keep doing that. Yes. Um, and that kind of goes back to the original, why did I start and how did I start? Because I never envisioned that I would be a private practice owner. I did not go into my practice to open a clinic. I started with the idea of doing assessments and consultations 
because I saw that that was a need in our community. And Mm -hmm. I knew that there was nobody else that was trained to do that or credentialed. And my background was specifically in combining sensory integration work with mental health. And nobody, even, you know, regular private practice people, nobody was doing that. So I really wanted to use my expertise to work with other existing agencies because I also saw this gap in services. And a lot of the kids that I was working with in mental health then might go to a traditional private practice and still not get their needs met. Yeah. Or I would work in private practice. I started doing it just, you know, one Saturday a week or when my kids were little. Sure. Um, and I saw that even the mental health part is so anyway, yeah, I'm rambling, but I think that being able to combine mental health and the sensory integration piece and using assessments to do that to me was supplementing what was available in the community. But I very quickly saw that when I assessed somebody, they didn't want to go anywhere else for treatment, right. which was a huge compliment to me. Yes, they get attached. They're um, like, but we want you. Right? Very That's quickly. Great. That speaks to your expertise and your therapeutic use of self and your personality <laughs> and your skills. It's great. Thank you. And I took it as a compliment, but I also didn't want to open a clinic and I didn't want to be tied to a long-term caseload, my kids were still quite young and I just knew the expense and the work of opening a clinic. So I opted to add ILS at that time because integrated listening systems could be a standalone home program. And I knew I could coach clients on that. And I actually shared some clients with other existing clinics doing ILS. So they would get their traditional OT needs met at the clinic and I would coach them on the home piece. And it just grew from there until I realized it was kind of silly to be referring people on to other people when this clear need and clearly I was doing something that was needed because they didn't want to go somewhere else. And so I just gradually grew from there, but I did it in a very safe, financially safe, slow way so that I didn't have that financial stress and burden up front. And here we are. Because opening Um, a clinic can be a huge, that's, I I often talk to people who, you know, want to grow their businesses, obviously, but I always am like, start slow. Just start. You yeah. don't have to pay $50,000, $100,000 to outfit a giant clinic to start out. You yeah. can do yep. what you did and start kind of seeing people yep. in their homes, doing things like that. And then yeah. when you're ready, save the money. And then when you're ready, do that. Yeah. Um, yep. That sounds and like I a really... Advantage. Go ahead, sir. No, oh, I was just saying it sounds like a really fiscal, fiscally responsible way to start a business like you did it. Well, thank you. I would like to say it was smart, but it was selfish because I couldn't handle the stress. <laughs> it was a coping strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fully coping strategy. And I had the benefit of my husband being the primary, so I could yeah. go slowly. And I had another job at the time. Yeah. So I was consulting to the largest mental health um, programs in the state and consulting with them across their system. Um, so I had some steady income mm-hmm. and I didn't give that up until I knew what I was doing would really fly. Yes. And until I knew that my role there was shifting enough that it isn't what I wanted to keep. And so I put my energy into what I knew I could make the most influence with. Um, and then it's just, like I said, grown from there. Right. And I've done it in increments and 
here we are. Now I've got five therapists and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going, we just moved to a bigger space in the fall. So I, that's why I say, I feel like we're still growing right? and, um, I'm finding my new normal. (laughs) Yeah. So you have, so I don't think we've said the name of your business yet. So you have a private clinic that is your clinic that you run. You have five full-time therapists or are they part-time? They're full-time combination. Okay. I have two full-time therapists that are salaried. I have another salaried 0.75. Okay. And then I have two part-time. One is an employee and one is a contractor. Oh, wow. So you have a wide variety. That's a whole nother topic that a lot of people are interested in that I love to talk about. We may have to do a whole episode just on employee (laughs) versus independent contractor. Um, Wow. Can I talk about that for a long time? Yeah. Yeah. And it's important for tax purposes. The IRS is not they don't joke. They don't play around with that. And too many people think that they can have independent contractors when they're not an independent con. All my people are employees. Like I, I just, I I have an, uh, my business manager who does all the administrative stuff is an independent contractor, but she runs her own business. That's like clear. She's an independent contractor. She's not my employee, you know? Um, but yeah. So anyway, um, okay. So your clinic is now, are you doing, so it's a, it's a SI clinic kind of outfitted yes. like a sensory integration integration clinic. And then do you also Correct. do home, do you guys still do home visits and anything with schools or are you mostly just clinic based? Mostly clinic based. We will do some home visits and we're actually right now, I'm trying to prepare to figure out how to add that at, mm-hmm. back in as a service line. Um, it's just tricky from a schedule standpoint how to configure that with our existing um, services so eventually I'd like to see us doing more home than we are mm-hmm. we will do some school visits and we've provided services in a daycare when that's a need or when that fits with our schedule or both but our general main service is clinic-based traditional pizza OT although we're doing an intensive model with that so yeah okay and then you also have your Ovis the Sheep books that you've written. Do you want to talk yes. about those? Those are your I other your other revenue stream. <laughs> so that's the one that is very much still growing. Um, so Ovis is a sheep with sensory processing disorder. And I wrote the first Ovis the Sheep book, which is Ovis Has Trouble with School. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that, again, kind of on a whim, <laughs> just... I saw that a lot of the books I was purchasing to work with, to use in my treatments with my kids, uh, with my clients, just weren't hitting the mark. They were too long. The pictures weren't quite right or engaging. I just, it was rare that I could get through a full book with them. Or, I mean, the language was written for the adults, but the pictures were for the kids. And so there was this disconnect. Yeah. And I found myself making it up as I went anyway. Right. Um, It it sounds, I don't want to come off as cocky in saying that, but it was just this, I felt the need and I love children's books. I use them and I want to use them and I believe in them and I coach parents on using them. Um, But I just thought I'm going to come up with my own story, not publish a book, but I'm going to come up with my own story just to see if that flows. And it's like, it came to me one day in the shower almost, you know, it just kind of flowed. So at the time, the person who was my designer and put together my logo, I bumped into her at a Christmas party and something in my brain clicked. And I was like, 
I wonder if she's ever illustrated anything. And so I asked her, have you ever thought about doing any illustrations? And she's, I said, I'm thinking of a kid's book. And she literally said, I've just finished a children's literature course. And oh I said, my gosh. need to talk. I love yeah. stories like this. It's so it, cool. Just such a, such a chance connection that was so serendipitous. Was, That's amazing. It, it was all serendipity because I hadn't really thought of her. I, I don't know what, because I didn't know she did that. It was right. literally, I hadn't seen her since she designed my logo when I started. And I just thought, wow, I'm going to ask her. And I did. And here we are. And we've got two books. And the plan is to have an entire series. Um, and I would love for parents to be able to just individualize the stories that fit for their child. Because we know right in OT, it's not one kid is the same. And one might struggle with sleep and school. And another might struggle with friendships and eating. And yeah. so, yeah. And, that, and that's a really, take it from there. It's, it's so it's such a great concept because it's very unlimited what you can do with that. Like creating a book like that, it's not just a one-off book. It's, it's really right. a series that you can build and it can be a whole revenue stream for many years to come. And That's so what I'm, I'm hoping I'm so, I have so many questions to ask you. I don't know where to go next. So I think while we're on the topic of the book, I want to ask you some questions about that and then we'll circle back okay. to some of the other clinic based stuff. Maybe. Um, so I'm interested in the process once you had that conversation with mm -hmm. the illustrator. So it sounds like you didn't really um, do a, you didn't do like a broad sweep of the market to kind of get a bunch of different um, people bidding on the project or anything like that. So how did you guys come to what no. was reasonable for cost? Like that's something that I think a lot of people wonder and I you know I'm finishing this activity guide that I'm doing for outdoor um outdoor therapy activities and yep. I feel like in the process I've been very much like well I don't know if what I paid for the editing and cover is actually like I got a few bids but not I don't know I feel like right. it's it's kind of shrouded in mystery I think things always end up costing more than you think they're going to. I feel like, oh, I'll pay a hundred bucks, have someone edit it. No, it was more like 600, you know? <laughs> so it's, I'm wondering it's what giant. the process was yeah. like for you guys, like working out the details. And it sounds like you had a good working re relationship with her already, but how did you kind of we really did, work through that? Yeah. So lots of conversation mm -hmm. um, and really it, Again, the serendipitous piece is that this is something that both of us felt really strongly about yeah. and really felt passionate about. So it started as both of our fun projects, you know, right, it was right. something that really wasn't envisioned to be a separate revenue stream as much as it was, this is something we want to do and something that we want to just put out into the world. And wouldn't it be cool if we can make money at it? Right, right. But that really was like a long shot idea. And so that's, I think, what allowed it to get out into the world. But the other serendipitous part is that she had a friend who was in the publishing industry and okay. had family history with publishing. So she had somewhat of a knowledge base. And we met with that friend who worked for an indie publisher, thinking we'd just pick his brain and he might guide us. And by the end of the conversation, he said, I think we could do this. Yeah. And he said, I'll take it to my team. He took it to his team up in Boston and they were willing to do it for us. And so 
they put together a contract after, and we had already tried to um, submit to one or two mainstream publishers and okay. got rejected. So we thought, okay, well, we'll just do it ourselves right? Um, or see what this other publisher has to offer. And it's the indie publisher that then said, yeah, we'll do it. And he made it happen. So he's yeah. been our point of contact. And if we already didn't have an existing relationship with him, it may not have worked, right? Right. Um, so, so you did it's not just been easy. Right. So you did not self-publish this. This was published through a small independent book publisher. Correct. It's an indie publisher. Yes. Yeah. I've been reading so much lately about self-publishing versus publishing with a actual publisher. I don't know what you call it. Yep. Um, and it seems yep. like a lot of the a, a lot of the um, previous bias in the industry towards self-publishing is kind of disintegrating really there's a lot of there's a lot of people who have yeah. self-published books that become very successful and they make more money on them by self-publishing than they would if they if they had published yes. through a traditional publisher so it, whatever you're comfortable yep. sharing you know don't feel like you yeah, have yeah. to give specifics but how much are you making on it? I mean, what is the breakdown between the publisher versus you guys and how do you pay the illustrator and things like that? Because is she paid like for her time illustrating or does she get like a cut of every book that's sold or how did you guys work out the logistics yeah, these financially are, it, of it? Good, great questions. So that has also shifted um, because initially, like I said, it was just our fun project right. that we both wanted to do. So everything was 50-50. But as we moved forward, we saw very quickly that, well, quickly, like, you know, over the last Year or couple two. years yeah. in having him out there, that's not quick, but in grand scheme of things, I guess right. it is. So we've realized that most of what Ovis is comes from my practice. You yeah. know, it's, I, I can't look at a daily life experience without thinking sensory. And yeah. some of the promotional stuff I've done is, is taking the doll. I have an Ovis doll. I don't know if you can see him over there. Oh, um, cute. I don't know if you can see him on the couch. And now I'm like, and so, where did you have him made? And how much did that cost? And who did that? And I have all these questions now. <laughs> okay, yeah. go on. We'll come back so to that. The, the, the doll arrived on my front doorstep one day I can tell you that laughter but oh, yeah so I would take I would take the doll with me and still do take him with me literally stick him in my purse and take pictures of Ovis doing different day oh it's so things. cute and so good and for social media that's awesome <laughs> right yes Ovis has his own Instagram account um he's got his own Facebook page and yeah so my goal would ultimately be to also do product development with the stories so that we have a weighted Ovis doll. And yes. in the book, you know, Ovis has a weighted blanket. So I would love to have weighted blankets made that look like Ovis. And so Ovis fabric. Oh, right? <laughs> I know. But these are it. things I haven't figured out yet. But sure. I'm feeling like this has to happen. And how fun would that be? And if there's one product per book, then there would be all of these sensory tools that families can use, but also have the book to go along with it. Right. Um, so the kids are more likely to engage. Um, and yeah, so in answer back to the, like um, the question. contract yeah. question and percentages and stuff. So we were 50, 50 and we've now realized that because a lot of it is coming out of my practice and every opportunity that I have, like even speaking with you today, like it's just ingrained in what right. I do and what I talk to people about. And 
her work is on the front end, you know, it's a ton of work, but it's done. And so we're now looking at when we move forward for future books, then she gets paid outright versus her book. And we're still kind of figuring out all of those contract issues. And the same goes with publishers, you know, different publishers do it differently. Um, And we were able to negotiate with the publisher based on the type of book that we had and what they have done previously. They put out the first contract and there isn't a lot of wiggle room or so I'm told with lots of publishers. And it's hard to get rich off of being an author. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, in the mainstream movie media, you know, only a few really make it. And that's okay, but it's something. And right now we just randomly will get checks. Some are bigger than others, but I can tell you not much yet. And that's okay. Well, and that's, is the publisher, so the first contract you had, the publisher's taking a pretty large chunk of whatever is, is yes the book is sold for, correct? Yes. Like it's like 70, 30 or something, correct. isn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah, it really, it does vary, but it's all within that realm. Yeah. So yeah, roughly 30% of each book. And then it's also not just like the publisher might sell to bookstores and right. then the bookstore gets a cut and then we get a cut. Okay. Yeah. So it's divided among a lot of different people that all have kind of their hands in it. So another, Oh, that's what I was going to say when you were, um, I I heard that too, that when I started thinking about writing a book or was starting to do the research to read, to, to start working on the project, which was too long ago. I don't even want to say how long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I keep feeling like I keep saying it's in final editing and now I can say it's actually done and the cover's being worked on. So we're almost there and I really, so I can give it to people at the training that I have planned. But anyway, but what what I heard, (laughs) a book is like a way to share knowledge in a broad, you know, disseminate knowledge for a low cost to a lot of people. And it's not really about making money off of it. It's more about establishing yourself as an expert and helping people really. And that's it. Like it's, it's not going to be a huge moneymaker. It's more for, it's more for your professional um, development and and for helping others. It's not really about becoming rich off of it because it's very rare that people become rich off of books that they sell. Right. Yep. And I honestly did write it, as I said, just to put it out there because I knew I needed it. And so I thought that somebody else might too. And I also thought that I wanted tools to offer the parents I was working with. In my practice, we do a lot of work with parents and it's actually become one of the things that I love to do. Um, Surprisingly, I went in to think I was gonna help the kids and, and I love helping the parents. And so this is a tool that they can use and so many grownups love Ovis. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's so cute. Honestly, they, it, <laughs> the, and the light bulb goes on, right? This is a way to explain what sensory processing is so that people understand it. Mm-hmm. And so many people go, I'm an Ovis. That's just like me. I yes. had that when I was a little. Yes. And so it, it creates conversation, it creates connection, there's communication. And I think that those are the things that are really important. And then it does help me in the rest of my practice because it is a launching pad. You know, I've had a few calls for people. They'll call and they'll say, can you do a book event? 
Um, and then it's an opportunity for me to go in as an expert, as you said, and share information about sensory processing. That's Usually awesome. it's the other way around, but. Yeah, yeah, but it's also a fun, it's, it's fun. It like appeals it, to kids, but also gives parents a way to playfully talk with their kids about sensory processing disorder. I like your approach at going about it a very kid friendly way and like working with the parents. So the working with the parents piece. So I wanted to kind of transition into talking about your practice. And I think this is the perfect segue in because it sounds like your practice is actually doing the evidence-based way to provide services, which is to have the parent involved in the session and do a lot of work with the parents. And I think that is so critical. And I want to hear you talk about that. Yeah, that is exactly what our practice is based on. And I have always done that from day one, even with, I mean, they're not in all of the assessments the whole time, right? but right from the beginning, my purpose was to connect with the family and to connect and make, make connections for parents. And that was one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I got when I started was you're the first person to explain things to me. You're the first person who understood and could explain it so mm -hmm. that I understood. And so I really felt like that was an important piece to keep as an integral part of whatever services we offer. And so, yes, we have parents in session. I tell parents on the intake call that we use what's called a parent partnership model. And that means oh, like different that. things that yeah. it's, it's really about partnering with the parents so that we can meet their goals for their child, not just what we think needs to be accomplished in a clinic session. Yeah. And so the parents are in session if that is available. And it, even if families can't be there because of work schedules and a grandparent's bringing them or whatever, we set schedule times. Like we set up times for parents to be part of the sessions. And then we also do um, intermittent, not often, but regularly scheduled parent meetings. So depending on the frequency of the the service, then we will preemptively schedule the first parent conference for, you know, maybe four weeks in or okay. six weeks in, depending on how long the treatment plan is. Are you guys all cash pay or do you take some forms of insurance too? We are a high, what I call a hybrid model okay. um, so that we do take one insurance. We're in network with Care First, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and then we're private pay aside from that. And okay. I would say our split is about 70-30. So it's 70% insurance, 30% private pay. Oh, wow. So you have a big, a big chunk of your clients are coming through insurance. They oh, are. Yeah. So many but more questions that's, now. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's quite, um, it, it's been, an, it's been an interesting learning curve. I'll say that much. And it's an interesting conversation with parents up front because even the insurance clients um, know that they will have the expense of a parent meeting. And okay, so the so parent meetings are ask. all out of network. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask because I, that is something too, that I feel like as OTs, we need to somehow lobby and change this together as a movement of people that require that our codes for billing actually match what is best practice according to research. Because yeah. we, we have this like, these codes are so outdated as far as how, what is best practice. Like meeting with a parent without their child there is really best practice to be able to have one-on-one -on -one time with Absolutely. that talk with them. And yet there's no code that will cover it. It's so crazy to me. 
I had to battle a lot of guilt initially, I think, in billing parents for that service. But what I realized is that's not my fault. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not my fault that we're limited to the codes we have. It's not my fault that insurances, insurance companies won't cover the cost of a parent meeting. Yeah. I have seen the difference and the benefit and the effectiveness in, in progress in our services when, when we do them. The yeah. families that are involved and the families that we meet with and when we get an accurate sense of what's happening at home and when we can adequately support that parent, the, the services are so much more effective. Yeah. yeah. And I've tried to see, it's almost like breaking apart the OT process so that each part of that process is now a different service. So, you know, we've, we see assessment as separate from the treatment. And if a family then decides to engage in treatment, treatment becomes the service that they're receiving. Yeah. We assess kids who don't need treatment and that's actually a good thing. Yeah. But what else does the family need? Because they've come to us for a reason. Yes. And so really... I've tried to put together a range of services. And as you had said, I do consider Ovis even a part of that offering. And, you know, if somebody can't afford the private pay portion, what can they afford? Can we do a consult to support them? In our feeding program, we bill the parent education separately from the direct service because parent education is a separate service. Mm -hmm. And so we get families that might only use the parent education because they can't afford the direct treatment. And so we really try and put together almost an a la carte, and it doesn't work out for every client that way, sure. but that's how I envision our offerings is an a la carte so that we can really put together what's going to not only meet the clinical need, but what's feasible for each family from a time and money resource standpoint. Right. So you guys do feeding too as well. That's we do. You do at your practice. Yes. And yes. what would you say yeah. is the breakdown? Like, do you get a lot of referrals for that? Cause I know that's a huge need in our area. Like I have had people say, do you know any feeding specialists? And I'm like, you can drive 45 minutes to this one that I know. I'm sorry. Yes. You know, just, do you have a lot of kids referred yep. for feeding issues? It's, we're getting, we're, if that piece has grown as well and we're getting more and more, um, we, I don't, I can't even think of numbers. I don't have any new normal since November. Right. So, um, gathering numbers through, you know, these last six months, but we're getting more and more referrals for feeding and we structure the feeding in both group and individual, and we don't bill insurance for the group services. Okay. So Feeding is a whole other ball game. If mm -hmm. they do one-to-one, -one, we can bill it through insurance, assuming we're in network. And if they choose group, then it's, it's private pay because insurance doesn't pay us enough to cover the cost of a group. Right. Um, so yeah, there are lots of variables in deciding who gets what feeding services, but more and more we're getting referrals for that. Yeah. Okay. And I so love doing the parent ed. Yeah. The, I, I mean, the parent education is so important on any on any service we offer. Gosh, it's like they're with them 24 seven. We're with them an hour or two, you know, a week. Um, I was going to ask you, that brings yeah. up a question I had earlier that I didn't ask, and then maybe we'll move on to some other businessy things. But what, what advice do you sure. have for people about having parents in the session? Because I know sometimes I have struggled with, and it, it's, it's kind of something that as a, as an experienced therapist, you learn how to juggle, but 
what is your advice for managing like the child hearing about what you're saying? What do you say with the kid there, but, but not, you know, like it's hard to talk to parents about their child with their child right there. Um, when they're in yes. the session. It's and so what advice, yeah. yeah. And and I think you guys have set up a really great model where you know you're gonna have that parent conference every eight weeks, four weeks, twelve weeks, whatever it is. Uh-huh. So you can kind of in your notes jot down things and save it for that meeting and know you're gonna have that time protected to talk with them outside of the earshot of their child. But what about those just speak to like advice for people who may want to get started doing that, having the parent in the session and how to talk in a way that is respectful in front of the child? That was a long question. Sorry. Does that make sense? Did you get what I was asking? No, no. Those are absolutely. And those are things, those questions are all things that we have to think of ongoing for every client. Because what I have found is that even if it's all set up up front, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but longer term clients get comfortable with you. And Mm -hmm. so you build this relationship with mom or with dad or even with the grandparent. And so they come in and vent right in front of the child. And so it's a it's tricky, but I've kind of come up with some pat phrases and I use a lot of nonverbal, like I will put my hand over my mouth and point to the child, like, remember, and I'll, you know, give the ixnay sign under my chin. Uh Um, And if I have a good relationship with the family, then it's easier to do that and they follow my lead. Um, The ones that are tricky are the ones that I haven't had the time with to set up the stage for what the sessions are going to look like. Um, for example, often I will explain to a parent, we're going to have you come into session. We're going to try not to talk about little Johnny when Mm. we're in there. The purpose of you being in there is to watch what I'm doing and to engage as a play partner. And I will guide you and coach you and I'll cue you. And, you know, we can talk about your questions afterwards, or if you have questions, email me. I'm happy to answer some basic questions over email. Um, And so if I do that preemptive, it usually goes much more smoothly with the family. Um, That's awesome. It doesn't, it, it really works so much better. Um, But there are times when they get too comfortable. I get comfortable. Mm -hmm. We all kind of, you know, just evolve into a conversation and then I have to rein it back in and just say, you know what, I think we should talk about this when we meet next week or do shoot me your thoughts in an email that will give me time to think it over. And then we can talk for a few minutes before next week's session. I love Um, that. I have, I have also reached out to a family preemptively via email before the session to say, you know, I realized that you had a lot of questions last week. I'd like to make sure that we have time to address them, but I can't do that in the moment of the session. Um, yes. So it's, did you have that on your website? I feel like that sounds very familiar to me. Did you have that on your website somewhere maybe, or like maybe in a blog? I think I, I think so. Trying to, yeah. Yeah. Just just guiding the family. Yes. And managing expectations, whether it's the treatment session or the entire treatment process is really what I feel like is one of my big roles now as the practice owner. And I do all of the intake calls right now. So managing those expectations up front is way easier than trying to shift things mid gear, mid, midway through shift gears, midway through. 
Yes. Yeah, so very clear expectations and walking families yeah. through in their mind what it is going to look like to be in that session. And I love yes. how you keep using this word partner because I, I, I don't like, I know, I know parent coaching is like a huge, um, I, I love it. It's a hugely evidence-based practice. There's been a lot of research around it, mm-hmm. but that idea of coaching kind of still is like the therapist is the expert and we're going to coach you. Like the partnership thing is like, we are equal, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like awesome. I feel like I want yes. to start calling business coaching. I'm going to be your business partner, but that doesn't well, make sense. If, we're going to have so, a business coaching partnership agreement. <laughs> Whatever, like, yeah. Really, that's I know, really what I, it is. It's a I partnership. It's not like the expert telling yeah. you, you know, so it's cool. And I think and that, that kind of gets into the marketing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, how how are we how are we selling our services and how do we manage the expectations up front about what this relationship is going to be? And I'm just now launching um, like sensory strategy distance coaching sessions and the the partnership piece is going to come up in how I explain it to parents because yes. I'm really like a parenting partner for them. Yes. And you really develop that close relationship and they come to trust you and rely on you. And so it is a partnership, but I need them in it as much as I am. And there are many sessions as I'm sure you've had where you're working so hard, you're the one doing all the work and you can't, you need, you need everybody on board and involved. Yep. Absolutely. So you touched on that idea of marketing briefly and saying that you're doing all these intake calls. And I know one of the things we communicated about mm-hmm. in email before we did this, this podcast is that our, our intake calls are sales calls, essentially. And so I, I'm so happy yes. you brought it up because it was on my list. And I want to make sure we talk about this because I think a lot of us do intake calls or, you know, we talk to a family about, about our services or whatever, but we don't really know how to close the sale in, in a, for lack of a better way to say that, you know, it sounds very salesy. It's exactly what it is. But it's what it is. It's like, it's like telling them they have a need and that they need to do something about the need. And if they don't feel that sense of uh, what, what you might miss out on if you don't purchase, I I mean, these are all very weird terms to use as an OT. Um, They need to feel that in order to actually make the you know, put the money down or do the work to get in and schedule the service. So what tips do you have for people about structuring a call so that you can close the sale for lack of a better term? (laughs) I definitely, this was not a concept or these weren't concepts that I had wrapped my head around when I started doing this. But the more intake calls that I did and the more reading, I'm kind of addicted to business reading because I didn't learn this in school. I mean, I'm reading and listening to podcasts and reading blogs and I, yeah, I love it. Um, But as I do more reading, I see how related all of that is to what we do. And if we could, and what I've tried to do is put more of that framework in my thinking as I'm talking with families. Mm-hmm. It's easy to give away too much up front as far as service. Yes. And it's, right? We get yes. sucked into the clinical because we're so passionate. Um, and it's okay. I mean, I want to go in with feeling like I'm giving every family something to walk away with. Um, but I found myself taking way too much time and then they may or may not come in as a client. And so what I started to do was shift 
not my language as much as how I structured that call so that I would, again, preface at the beginning, you know, we have a half an hour or we have 20 minutes or however much time you're allowing for that call. We have this time. And what I'd like to do is get some basic information. And then what I'd like to do is see what I can offer you and find out what type of service I think you need, if you even need anything. And if you don't, then I'll give you some referrals. And so having, again, managing expectations, having that expectation up front, then parents kind of settle into that structure versus just this dump of information, because that was the hardest for me to walk back from. You know, when they just start venting and sharing everything and before I know it, a half an hour is gone and I still haven't been able to tell them about what type of assessment and how much it costs and let's talk about the schedule. Yes. Um, that that yeah. is so, so the life I of every OT out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's like absolutely what everyone's it's, doing. I know it. Because parents just need to be heard, yeah. but it's also like, if you don't set those expectations, like, yes. so we have 15 minutes and here's what we're going to do on this call. I mean, if you imagine yourself as yeah. a parent calling someone and if, if the person on the end of the line that you've called for the service just says, so how can I help you today or whatever, what do you want to know or what questions right. do you have? It opens this huge Pandora's box of just like talk about everything under the sun. And so the way you do it is like structure. I mean, I felt like I wanted to take notes while you were talking, like, um, which I will in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> but I, exactly. <laughs> I, I love the structure of just saying like, we have 15 minutes. Here's what I want to get done on this call. And at the end, yep. we'll talk about next steps or something, you know, just the way you've structured it is so clear yep. for families and, and really establishes you as in control of the call as the business owner, instead of the parent just kind of dumping because they don't really know it's, it's honest. Yes. They just want to kind of tell you so you that, exactly. yeah, what else do you do if you just get on the phone and someone says, how can I help you? It's like, well, these are all the things we're dealing yes. with and um, yes. Takes up the whole yep. call. So that's great. That's, and don't that's get bold. me wrong. I mean, I, I still get sucked in. Like oh, there, of course. there are some, we're human you know, when you connect and when you hear, yeah, it's, so there are times when I realize I've gone down that rabbit hole yeah. and now I'm stuck. <laughs> um, and so when I do, when I realize it, there are times when I'll then just say, you know, I'm going to pause us for a minute because I have some thoughts or I have some ideas. And so let's talk a little bit about the types of assessment that we have because we always start with assessment. And yeah. then that allows me to regain control of the call. And then I can articulate the three levels of assessment that we have. And that leads to questions. And then we can also talk about insurance. And it just kind of moves things along if I can start with saying, I have some thoughts based on what you've already told me. Good. Um, and they're relieved. They're, yeah. they're happy to know that you have an idea next step. Yeah. Um, so that's good. And then the other kind of last thing about that call that I realized maybe too late, but I have thankfully realized it is that it's helpful for me to not make a final commitment at the end of the call. And I know that traditional sales and business strategy might say not to do that, but I, my brain couldn't think through all the clinical and the scheduling and the insurance. And the, so I set myself up for success by saying, I think this is where we need to start. If you're on board with that, then I'll have my intake coordinator reach back out to you to set up a time. Good. Or that's perfect. If I, 
if I'm on a day where I'm on, you know, things are going well, I'm, my brain is working the way I want it to, and I feel like I've been able to organize my thoughts, then I can book them at that time. Okay. Um, it, it's better. I mean, obviously, we get a better booking rate if I'm able to book them at that point in time, 100%. But at that point, the call in my mind is to connect and engage yeah. and make sure that we can be helpful because it's not going to serve anybody if we take on clients that I can't help. Absolutely. So, it's the ethical thing to do. Take on clients that you feel you can help. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you also, did yeah. I see on your website, you also have a counselor that you refer to? for some things? Was that your website I was looking at? Yes, we have, I have two counselors that work out of our office and they both rent from me. So they're, the one counselor is a contractor with me as well. So she helps support us in the feeding program, but generally they rent space from me in the clinic so that that's their own practice. Okay. Um, and so a lot of our parents will work with those counselors, but then it's through them and they do the billing and, and whatnot, unless it's in our feeding program. A whole nother revenue stream we didn't talk about renting out your clinic space to people who are... <laughs> Right. Do you have anything else hiding in yeah. there that I don't know about that you need to share that is a revenue stream? There's, because we need to share this. With there's everyone. more coming. There, there's more coming for sure. I'm working on more. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank so you. tell me what's coming down the pipeline. What's going on in that business brain of yours? So I have so many ideas. I mean, we talked about Ovis, but the big thing that I'm feeling right now is this parent connection and being able to offer something more to parents that is um that that meets their need for knowledge and understanding and in the moment longer term help that we can't support through our treatment sessions um so i'm hoping for some kind of parent partnership package um, I yeah. guess it's distance coaching, but it's more, I want to limit the spaces so that I can really work closely with families. Um, and, you know, cost wise, I haven't landed with anything yet. I don't know how to price that yet because right. I'm still putting together what, what it's going to look like. But the big thing that we, that I've built our practice on is both this, there's an easier way, like let's make life easier. And so I've kind of, you know, little teaser or whatever, mm -hmm. I'm building an easier framework so that parents can follow the easier framework for implementing sensory work at home. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. That's so the main it, thing right now. But yeah. So it's like what you're, it sounds like what you're trying to establish, and I've done a little bit of, I have like Trello boards full of ideas, and there's a few on there that are similar to this, so I'm interested to talk with you. So it sounds like what you're trying to do is like parent coaching on online or like through the phone, but it would be one-on-one yeah. -on -one with families. It wouldn't be like a group, or would it be a group? Well, there, what you there might be a group component. Okay. I'd like to make it both. So I'd oh, like yeah, that's great. some individual calls, X number within the package, but then yep. also some group. Because I've seen parents really benefit from having other parents there, but I've also seen that parents won't commit their time or resources to help themselves. They want to help their right. kids. Yeah. And so it has to be about how this is going to help their child but yeah. I'd like to have some element of that group support. And so if we do it small, then it's less threatening and um, we'll see where it goes. I also have ideas for groups. I think we need a group model in the clinic. Um, the social skills, we've just launched a social skills program for, oh, for kids. So yeah, lots of, yeah, different things. That's awesome.
Yeah, the parent that I I constantly think about. I mean, we even have it like listed on our registration platform, but I have it like hidden right now. Like it's not available for registration, but we have it all set up for mm-hmm. parent coaching packages because I felt like right now I just don't have employees to offer the service, but I yeah. always feel like it is limiting. It's like what you just said. It's limiting to only offer in-person services in a world that is so digitally connected now. And I think we're never going to lose the in-person connection being ideal. That's why I'm doing in-person, like a training that's in-person because I want to see people, (laughs) you know, I think that's those human connections. But with our services, I, I feel like there's, it, it opens up the market when you can offer an online service, right? So if you, yes. if you open your parent partnership coaching program, whatever you're going to call it, um, that, that could be anyone in the state of Maryland. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be just people that are next to you and able to drive within a 30-minute radius of your clinic or whatever. So it's a real strategy yes. that I think we as OTs need to be thinking about how can we offer something because not, especially for my practice, not everyone's going to fit into when we have services. It's like after school groups and there's certain Correct. ranges and they're only at certain locations. And you might be a nine-year-old in Oakland, but we only have a group on the day you're available 10 miles yes. away in Berkeley and you can't get there, you know? So I've yep. been thinking that and it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it comes down to like the idea um, that I've mentioned before, and I'm sure you'll relate to any new service requires more work than you think it will be <laughs> to actually yes. get it going because there's so many logistics to think through. Yeah. And I think that's like as business owners, you and I are so similar and we just have so many ideas and it's so hard to focus. <laughs> I, I yes. was talking with Alexis Joel on, online too about on Instagram yeah. about how as entrepreneurs we just we have so many ideas, but it's really hard to focus and choose like what are we really gonna do and do it well. And yes. um, but you're yep. doing that. You're doing so many. Well, well, it's amazing to me. <laughs> thank you. Uh, you're very sweet. I appreciate that. I think, you know, my goal is to stabilize since the move and to get mm-hmm. our systems working. And this kind of goes back to your very first question about growth. Like, I really think that growth isn't just doing more volume. I think growth is making sure whatever you do more of is sustainable, which means solidifying systems and making sure things work efficiently and also shifting the how things are done and then what's being offered. If we can grow the range of services that we're offering, then volume just comes. Um, It's kind of like the SOS approach to feeding, right? Range builds volume. Um, I think that's the same for business and I think the more that we can offer people, the more needs will get met. And that's really what I'm basing our range of offerings on right now. Yeah. You sound like you've done a good job too. at like, what are the needs? What are you seeing? And that's something that everyone can take away from this conversation is when you start building a practice, you might only have one service you're offering. You're doing home visits and you specialize in a certain kind, maybe kids with autism or specialize in sensory issues or whatever. But, um, But as you grow, you're going to start to see the same questions being asked or the same requests being made. And that's where you can be, you know, light bulb on over the head, like maybe a new service for that. And you've done that, it sounds like, throughout your years of of being a business owner and has made you successful, you know, in doing those different 
revenue stream. So yeah, responding to those needs is definitely what's allowed that range of services. And it makes those intake calls a whole lot easier if you've got multiple things to offer a family. Yeah. I, I feel like you told me you're starting to create online courses too. Yes. Um, and so if that is the biggest work in progress, probably the thing that's going to take the longest because everything else is a priority right now. Right. But yeah, definitely two courses that I have in mind. One is for mental health therapists and helping them incorporate real effective sensory work instead of, um, and understand what sensory really is, not just sensory boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they know what a sensory box is, but that's not what sensory processing really is. And so right. helping them know when to make a referral, what are the different subtypes, how, how that relates, but also a real big piece of that is the polyvagal theory and understanding the role of sensory processing within the polyvagal framework. Um, so that's something that I'm working on. And then some other online course for parents and I'm thinking something around co-regulation. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Cause that's a big topic. I think sometimes that we don't often address with families cause it's tricky to address it yep. <laughs> in a way yep. that is non-judgmental and um, that's great. Yep. So yep. online courses too. So in a year or so, we'll bring you back on and talk about your right. online course development. <laughs> now I'm accountable. <laughs> right, right. One year from today, I, like I will this. be scheduling like you. So, okay. I, I still have so many questions for you, but I think um, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on like the last two that I always ask and then just add one more. I, I want to hear um, what is your current like work day or work week sort of scheduled like? What does it look like? And yep. what do you, how do you organize yourself with all the things you have going on as an entrepreneur? Great question. And I wish I had an easy answer. So the superficial answer is that I'm actually quite pleased with the way I do block scheduling. And I know you, I've heard you talk mm -hmm. about that on prior podcasts. So I do block scheduling and I couldn't function without it. I have to set certain tasks at certain times of the day. I'm a much, uh, I'm a morning person. I do much more thinking and better work, more efficient work in the mornings. And so I will tackle my creative work in the mornings. Um, and I will also do a lot of the, um, anything that needs connecting, you know, closing loops, connecting with clients, like those kinds of things happen mostly in the mornings. Mm -hmm. Um, emails get done mostly at night. <laughs> um, you know, I'd like to limit it more than I do, but that's really the only kind of spare time that I would have to do a lot of spare emails and stuff, but I'm getting better at that. So weekly, I have been able to organize my schedule. So I see clients only on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I'm able to actually take some Mondays now for myself, believe it or not. Yay. Um, that's wonderful. So, yes. I'm thrilled with that. And I now actually... I was able to successfully pull myself out of doing a full clinical caseload and or even having regular clients. I got to the point where I could not do both and jumping in and out of clinical versus admin brain was too challenging. And the follow-up work that it took to really serve clients adequately was, was suffering. You know, no 
and, and the emails that I said I would send with resources weren't getting sent. And, um, you know, the, those parent meetings were falling off my radar. And so yeah. right, right after we moved, I very mindfully said, I can't take any more clients and through attrition. And at that time I was really only seeing about 10 regular clients. So at that time I started as they finished, I wouldn't fill that spot. Okay. So when I say I'm now seeing clients on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that is if I need to mentor or supervise another therapist, that is a parent meeting, that's intake calls, that is um, parent education for our feeding program. So okay. those are kind of all one-offs. And then I have a couple of monthly clients or assessments. I'm still doing some assessments for some of the specialized cases that come in. So all of that gets done on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday is my admin day where I will do networking. I'll do scheduling. I'll meet with our intake coordinator. Um, I might do some supervision that day. But a lot of that is just me trying to keep my head on straight for admin tasks. Yeah. It's, I, it was so like encouraging to me to hear you say all of this because I think I said on a previous episode, sometimes I feel guilty. I feel like, do my employees think I'm bad that I don't still see clients? But, but honestly, like when I think about how much I have to do behind the scenes to make their job easier, yeah. I, I just have to remind yeah. myself that like that is my proper role in this business right now is to is to work behind the yeah. scenes and to do those intake calls. I, I still do. Um, yes. Nicole is starting to do some of those. My business manager, she's a coda. So she knows she's fabulous and she yeah, knows about OT. She gets so, it. Um, but yeah. I, I feel like I feel like it's it's hard as a business owner when your business is growing to to realize at some point that you really can't spread yourself that thin to be having the cognitive yep. energy to think through really creative um, activities mm-hmm. to do in your sessions and managing the parent. It's everything you just said. It just takes so much time and it, it, it divides your attention yep. that you can spend to really grow the business. And so you just, you just yep. spoke to my, my heart of being a business owner because I feel like that's exactly <laughs> my life. Like, so Yeah. And I wish I did more. The other thing I took from you sharing was that I, I probably check my email too much during the day because it, Mm. and I feel like I'm a slave to it in some ways, even though I, even though I said on my list of time management things that you should only check it twice a day or whatever. I feel like exactly that it's like, Oh my gosh, I need to reply to that. They're going to expect to reply right now, you know? So it's, I think it's good that you only check. Yeah. I, I think it's, Yeah, it's a lot more more, done in a day. Morning and night. I I do. And I feel like, you know, these these are all still kind of new skills for me. I feel like um, you know, the next six months will really and I've been in this schedule for a while now where I've condensed and block scheduled, but without the clinical caseload is relatively new for me. So I'm hoping that that will work. And um, I'm also doing more of putting my tasks, like my to-do list, like you said, your Trello boards and stuff, like I am actually scheduling those things on my Google Cal so that I have two hours blocked out. Like, you know, knowing that you and I were going to talk, I didn't leave it blank on my schedule. I put in, you know, talk with Laura. And even if I have to call a client, I'll schedule a 20 minute block to call that client or, if I'm doing supervision, like I'm really trying to put every, I'm putting my brain dump 
onto my schedule. And I think that also helps other people see what I'm managing. Yes. And, you know, it's not selfish, like, hey, look at me, but it's, we all have a role to do. And it also then protects my time from other people putting things onto my schedule. Yes. That's, um, if you have, I, I learned that the hard way lately, because if you have acuity scheduling set up, it basically syncs with your Google calendar. And do. I had yeah. someone schedule yeah. a business coaching call. And then I was like, wait, I'm going to be backpacking that week. Like why? Oh, I didn't have that on my calendar. <laughs> so I yeah. had to email them and say, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, my calendar wasn't up to date. So it, that's a great, that's a great yeah. strategy to use to put it on your calendar. Even the little to do's that you have to do and just give them a time slot because then you yep. see, you see yep. what your real time is being spent yep. on. Okay. And it's helping me learn how much time tasks take. That's yes. Accountability for our own. Like I thought Mm -hmm. that took half an hour. It really took two hours or, or vice versa. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you said you love business (laughs) podcasts and business books and just off the top of your head, what are, what are a couple of that you would recommend to everyone? Because I'm obsessed with learning about business too. And I love to hear what other people are reading and I think it could help people. What resources have been helpful to you? Podcasts or books or trainings? Yep. So ongoing podcasts right now that I, well, not just right now, that I've listened to for a long period of time, The Life Coach School with Brooke Castillo. I have a love-hate relationship with her. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know that one. That's good. I'll look at it. I'll look at it. It's she's she does a really good job of breaking down a lot of thought processes that might get in our way um and yeah she's just got a lot of really good things to say so the life coach school is one um small business boss um maggie and i can't think of her last name now but i don't know that one either i'm so excited canada Okay. Yeah, she's really good. She does a lot of work. She, I think she says for creatives and um, small business entrepreneurs. So really good, like real life practical tools and strategies. Um, so plus I'm Canadian, she's Canadian. It's, it's a, it's a win-win. Um, awesome. so yeah, she's one. And then one I just started more recently listening to is Biz Chicks. Um, and so biz chicks is another helpful one. I've kind of picked, I pick and choose between those ones, but then just some inspirational John Maxwell has some really good podcasts out there. Um, because I think some of being a business owner is about mindset and it took me a long time to learn that I have to put on my mindset just like I do my clothing, (laughs) Um, you know, because I'm not going to feel it every day and I'm not going to want to be doing this every day because it's really hard a lot of days. And so I'm learning to really choose my mindset and I have to support myself in doing that. And so John Maxwell is a good fix for doing that. Um, And then as far as books go, Simon Sinek, you know, your, your why or start with why that was a really, really big one. Um, Good to Great by Jim, I think it's Jim Collins. I haven't Um, read that one yet. I've heard of it. I haven't read that one yet. Put it on my list. I really like that one. It's, he gives a really good framework for understanding business evolution. um, And it's not boring to read. He breaks it down in a really nice readable way. um, And helps you, he looks at the qualities of big businesses that have made them not just a good business, but great. Okay. 
like what what was the what was the magic recipe and so i think there are lots of good lessons that we can take from that and then um a friend of mine in canada sent me a book and i can't think of his name now um but he's a marketing guy from canada um but that one was really really good and i'll have to get it and send it to you you could include it in the show notes um, yeah i'll put it in the show those notes. i think would be my three three favorites yeah i i read um start with why a long time ago but i haven't I haven't read Good to Great. I've heard of it, but I haven't. So yeah, that'll be on my yeah. list now. Love yeah. it. And of course, Brene Brown. Brene Brown. Yeah. Is oh, she's great. One, right? She's so great. <laughs> Who doesn't like her stuff? I mean, exactly. she's great. All that yeah. mindset stuff. So, okay. Yep. Last, last questions. These are the two we always end with. So I'm big about fail learns. So what's the biggest failure mm -hmm. you've experienced in your business and what did you learn from it? What can other people do to not make the same mistake Ugh. that you did? The scary F word. Um, we li I live so much of my life trying to avoid it, right? We all do, I think. But I think there are two failures that come to mind and one of them um, yeah, it was a failure. I waited too long to hire. Um, mm. and that meant that cash flow suffered and okay. that caused me way more stress than I needed and probably needed to endure for a whole lot longer than if I had simply pushed on hiring sooner than later. So I think that's one thing that I would say if you're contemplating hiring, then try it. You know, any hire is not a forever hire. And, yeah. you know, I know that that would scare any new hire to say, right. but it's the same for them too. And so everybody enters into an employment relationship trying to figure it out. And I believe in honesty with my staff and with my clients. And so, you know, if I could do it over again, I think I would push to bring people on sooner than I did so that cash yeah. flow wasn't as stressful. Um, and that's a big one. And then for me, the biggest failure is always fear of failures, letting clients down. And I think, you know, there's one clinical case in particular that had we managed it differently and had I been a little more connected to the clinical work that was going on and, you know, I'll probably beat myself up over it forever. I think that the outcomes for that client could have been different. And yeah. Um, that client is one that probably doesn't have very good things to say. And that always feels really, really bad. Yeah. Like in the back um, of your We weren't mind. able yeah. to recover that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and I, you know, I think as every a business, business owner, has that. that's, yeah, I'm sure it's, it, it, and, and we know that cognitively, but when it happens to you, it, as the therapist, you, you do kind of think it through over and over again, yep. but we learned as a practice. And so it helped, it spurred me on to put together procedures so that people knew how to respond in those situations. It spurred me to have conversations with clients or with therapists about setting boundaries with clients. Yes. Um, you know, right. so it, it really did prompt good stuff. Um, but it's always hard when you go through it. And in hindsight, I wish that I had a stayed more connected clinically. And so now as the owner, that's what I'm prioritizing trying to do and having procedures in place for different scenarios so that all staff are on the same page. So to, to end on a good note, because I don't ever want to end with the fail learn question. Um, <laughs> What's, what's going so well right now in your business? Like, what are you so excited about? And you feel like is going really well. You've talked about some of these things. I 
am so excited about the team of people that I have working with me. It really, honestly, if you surround yourself with good people, it is so much easier to deal with the headaches and the hard parts of yes. this job. And I have believed in that right from the beginning. And ironically, that's probably what made me wait longer to hire is because I didn't find the right person. So, you know, there's, it, it goes back and forth, but good people is the thing I'm most excited about in our practice right now. The other thing really honestly is just this new space with a new range of services and the growth that we're experiencing. Like, I just, I'm not paying for any marketing right now and we can't keep up with the referrals. And that is so exciting to me because it means something is working and it means that people are getting their needs met and that's why we do what we do. And we just got a letter from a parent last week that brought all of us to tears and there's nothing like that, right? There's nothing like that. Nothing like it. And so the more we can do of that, the more excited I am and the more relieved I am that this has actually all been worth it and it's worth continuing. And I just hope that we can do more and more of that. That's, that's what excites me and gets me up and here every day. (laughs) Absolutely. It brings, it brings to mind the heart behind why you do what you do. You know, it brings the mission into view so that you can deal with the hard times because you know that what you're doing is, yes, meaningful and helpful to people. So yay. I'm so thankful that you came on and it was just such a joy hearing about you and hearing like from another business owner. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Honored and grateful. (laughs) And I look forward to more conversation and I just thank you for what you're doing because the first episode that I listened to, I was like, oh my gosh, where's she been? <laughs> it's, it really, it's fun. like I shared with you in that email, we, sh- I think yeah. we're sharing a brain and yes, it's, it's exactly. a relief and it's exciting. So I look forward to more. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for coming on Kelly. Okay. Thanks. Oh, I could have talked to Kelly for probably another hour or two, probably even longer. She's like a business soul sister to me now. I just loved the conversation with her. But you may have noticed I made the total podcast host newbie mistake of not asking her to give her contact info and all her website stuff to you guys before we got off of the call. So I'm going to tell you the name of her business is Occupational Therapy Consulting, LLC, and it's in Frederick, Maryland. The website is OTC hyphen frederick it's f as in frank r-e-d-e-r-i-c-k dot com otc hyphen frederick dot com so you can go there and see how she's set up her whole practice on her website tons of great information there and that is where you can buy her super cute ovis the sheep books that teach kids in a really playful way about sensory processing Ovis also has his own web page and Facebook page, and you can find those on her website at the, um, if you click on the Ovis little link on her website, and he also, Ovis has his own Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Ovis has trouble. You can also find OTC Frederick on Facebook, as well as follow Kelly on Instagram at kbinesot. It's K-B-E-I-N-S. OT. 
I learned so much in this podcast. I think my action item to take away, which I already did this week on a phone call, was the part that where Kelly talked about managing and really, really controlling that intake call where you are the business owner and you can have a framework for what you need to follow and you can set up expectations before that phone call to keep it manageable and to make sure that you're um, managing your own time wisely and respecting parents or clients time and and also to make sure that you're not giving away too much of your service before a family or a client signs up for your services. I just thought that was great advice that she gave. Really love that. And it, it helps us to be professional and to value ourselves as therapists. So anyway, make sure to check out the show notes at mindyourotbusiness.com slash podcast slash 11, the number 11, one, one. And you can see the list of everything Kelly and I talked about as well as a long list of all the resources that she gave us at the end of her favorite podcasts and books because she even emailed me a few that we didn't mention in the podcast. So those will be at mindyourotbusiness.com in the show notes for this episode. The other cool thing that I just put on the website that I wanted to let you guys know about is that now there is a way for you to record a question. So if you want to ask a question and have your actual voice played on the podcast. Um, I made this, it's a really cool um, plugin for, well, I don't know if it's a plugin. I guess it's an app maybe that integrates with your website. It's called SpeakPipe. And you can record a message and send it to me and I'll play it live on the podcast and answer your questions. So I'm hoping that we can do some episodes where we go through questions that you guys have as business owners because a lot of you when you join the email list on the website you you know write one or two words about a topic that you're interested in that you would like covered on the podcast but I would love to have really specific questions and also for people to hear a voice other than mine maybe you don't want to be interviewed for 60 to 90 minutes like some people are willing to although if you are please email me I'm happy to have more guests on but I think it'll be fun to have questions from listeners that are we can go through quick on the website, I mean on the podcast, and answer live on the podcast. So it'll be fun. So go to mindyourotbusiness.com and you can click on my name at the top of the page and it'll say, ask your question. And then you can start recording and record your question for the podcast. I would love it if you guys did this. I think it will be a really fun thing to integrate into future episodes. So That's it. Pick an action item from today. I already shared mine, but yours could be different. I think take a small step. That is how you make great gains over time. So until next time, mind your OT business. 